and welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. I am with uh, two members of my firefighting family. I have Ash. Hello. I have Scott. Hey. Scott sounds a little bit different via the dial-in tonight. He's uh, away, so he's calling in. And we have uh, another member of our firefighting family. (laughs) We have uh, Mike from uh, my town, my department. How you doing? Excellent. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us tonight. And who are you? Oh yeah, sorry. I am Todd. <laughs> God. Anyways, um, I want to throw a quick shout out to uh, all of our listeners down south to America. Mm-hmm. Happy belated Fourth of July. We um, we were a little bit busy yesterday, so we couldn't get our podcast out. Um, everybody's out on fires. So I hope you all had a good one mm-hmm. and uh, didn't light any grass fires with your fireworks. Keep, America, right. keep America great again? Are you allowed to say that? I think so. It was always great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, before we introduce Mike, let's talk about our winners from our contest. Boom. We finally got organized and sorted out. Yeah, so we got our contest out there, uh, ran it for a couple weeks, thanks to the boys at Modus. Um, we offered up three prize packs, um, got our post going, got a lot of traction on that, so we thank everybody yeah. for getting on there, getting involved. Um, I think it went really, really well, uh, and we came up with uh, three winners at random via a random draw, uh, confirmed that all of the um, criteria was followed, uh, so... Drum roll, air drum roll. Uh, prize pack number one, which I believe is a, um, what, what do we have in there? Pocket organizer and tools. Yep. Goes to you. Steve Lang? Yeah. I think that's... Uh, L-I-L-I-A-N-G. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Steve, if you're listening, congratulations. Uh, we will reach out to you tomorrow once the episode is published and on Facebook. Uh, if you listen before we post that information, uh, yeah, sit tight. Uh, next up, we have for a, um, equal equal prize. So same same thing, different color. Uh, we have William Kemper. Perfect. And lastly, it was the Snagger Tool um, pack. We have... Another William, William Morgan. Right on. Congratulations. And that is coincidental. Yeah. Yeah, complete random draw, and we grabbed a couple of Williams. So congratulations to all three of you guys. Um, you'll be hearing from us shortly. Um, again, yeah, tomorrow morning. We are a day, day late. We apologize for that. But um, grass fire, structure fire, and everything else. So mm-hmm. we will talk more about why we're a day, day late as the podcast goes on. But big congratulations. Thanks, everybody, for playing along. Uh, I'm sure that will not be the last that we do something along those lines. So, Absolutely. And again, big thank you and shout out to uh, Modus Fire Rescue uh, for providing us these uh, pieces of equipment uh, to be sending out for this draw and this prize pack. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Modus Fire Rescue, check them out. Uh, they're, they're an awesome group of guys. For sure. All right. Well, let's jump into what we've been up to and what we want to talk about. So... Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> want to introduce Mike. Mike, do you want to uh, give us a little bit of lowdown about uh, your history and why you're here um, and how long you've been with uh, the department? So. Um, I've been with the 
our local department two and a half years, but it's still currently in the midst of now 17 years as a primarily uh, fire, wildfire, bushfire, helicopter pilot. Mostly on the contract uh, side of things now with uh, government here in, in our province uh, on the, the pointy end of the rappel and and whatnot, and then uh, off seasons. Well, there's never an off season, but uh, down to Australia for a number of years, and uh, mm -hmm. here we are. Yeah, 2020, and 2021, and the we say the biggest of the best, but uh, one of the bigger years but, uh, forecasted still. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you've actually flown on a, a good variety of our fires that we've had here in the in the valley um, before you even joined the the fire department with us yeah ironically i i grew up and and was working out of the coast and got tired of of the travel to go to work so we're kind of in the center of the universe when it comes to firefighting um southern california is about on par with with bc actually and so moving up here was just to kind of get closer to to home and and, and make it a home so that there was some normality to to the season and uh yeah 2014 i came to town and uh it hasn't been uh, any slow times at all and, and we literally are the center of the action here as we saw today and yesterday and we'll probably see you for the next two more months mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah grateful we didn't get some more action we had some uh some lightning showers coming through the valley today uh there was reports of uh, uh a couple strikes actually just uh um, to the west of us here. That's right. Yeah. So grateful we didn't uh, have anything arise from that. But like yeah. uh, Mike, Mike says, this is far from over. Mm -hmm. I think uh, we're just ramp just there's, getting ourselves. There's ramp always holdover. Yeah. yeah. Nobody yeah, understands what holdover is, but uh, <laughs> there's always holdover. Yeah, right. we've had quite quite the uh, the heat wave come through our area, <laughs> and then now with these uh, these thunderstorms and this uh, lightning activity, it's definitely a cause for concern. Yeah. So. Um, so with that, let's jump into kind of why we were delayed here yesterday. Ash and Scott, do you guys want to start with uh, your series of events? Yeah, Scott, why don't you take that? Because you uh, you were actually one of the first ones to, to notice it and get the ball rolling. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yesterday we, well, one another reason why we were delayed and late is because we were camping. <laughs> and uh, we had just all came back in town. There was, what, um three of our officers away and now yeah. one of the one and Todd was obviously away too. So lots mm -hmm. of uh, officers missing. Maybe that was for the best. I don't know. It was a nice, it was a nice four. <laughs> but anyways, weekend. we had just came back into town. So that's why the one call went so smoothly because we were all out of town. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just to unhook the trailer, just back the truck in and uh, stand outside. And I kind of, I kind of looked over on the other side of the Valley. I'm like, huh, pretty low thundercloud because <laughs> you know when you first see something that you're not expecting it's kind of like your mind reasons other things and i'm like that's not that's a that's a fire <laughs> and i look at my phone i'm like no page oh that's a fire that just started so uh jump in my truck on the radio my truck so uh started taking off of the hall right away get on the radio um i actually was on just the straight uh, repeater channel not the channel that goes to dispatch so just the channel that goes to our guys so I start radioing. I uh, just said uh, there's fire, fire on this area. Um, everybody reports the hall, and uh, I think within about 
10, 20 seconds, uh, Chief Bob gets on to dispatch channel and starts calling dispatch uh, to have us page it out um, for a large wildfire. Because we get to see, uh, you know, you just see the smoke. Uh, it was black and white and black and white and all these different colors and getting bigger. So we knew it was something big. Um, so, yeah, so that's actually how the page came in. So it was kind of unusual. It wasn't a, um, wasn't a phone in like usually. Like usually happens, it was us uh, seeing it, uh, two different officers seeing it. So yeah, we started rolling right away. Um, basically, we knew everything was coming, and I think it was pretty quick that uh, the chief called uh, um, forestry for air support. Like within, I think right away. Um, it's actually interesting because the um, lots of helicopters were stationed at our airport. So there was one happened to be, I don't know if he was refueling or what he was doing, um, but he ended up flying right towards it right away, getting eyes on that quick. And then, um, yeah, and then he called uh, actually Todd's uh, department pretty quick for mutual aid. So it was all happening super fast. Um, he gets on scene, reported that there was a, a fire near near one of the structures, coming very close to it. So uh, we knew that was the first kind of uh, priority. Uh, I was on the first engine with a few of the guys. We pulled up right away, deployed all the hoses, uh, started getting ready for structural protection. And then uh, uh, another person actually came running up to us. He says, there's actually a house in there. And he points to this kind of like kind of heavily, not really heavily wooded, but really like, because we have kind of scrub brush around our, our area. So lots of brush and a couple of big trees. And he points in there and he goes, there's a house in there and it's on fire, I think. And we're like, what? Because he can't see anything because it's so at least uh, so uh, smoky. So I kind of crouched down, and I could just barely make out a, a frame of a house. So, yeah, the house. Um, I look back at our engine, which is now fully deployed, doing structural protection uh, for these other houses. And so right away, started um, calling any all the other arriving units to go to the house that was on fire. And, uh, yeah, I think it was... Because we were we were kind of just we we're trying to decide if it would be easier to drop the lines off the first engine and head over and just kind of redeploy, or if it was going to be quicker. It's a pretty quick decision by chief, uh, the chief and I that we're we're just going to keep the keep the first engine where it is because um, that's also what was protecting those structures. So we kept that where it was, and and the other units started ripping in there. And our actual our water tender, which was our second unit coming in to help us. Um, it actually was the one was the initial attack on that structure fire, so they just did some exterior work and waiting for the engine to arrive. Nice. So they were able to, they were able to get down to the road first and start putting water on it. Yeah, they did actually a uh, really good job. Just exterior, uh, you know, they just had one one hand line out. Yeah. Did a really good job. Uh, just exterior water application, and then um, I think it would go over to Ash because he was uh, he was second or third truck into that area. Yeah, so kind of like Scott was saying, it's interesting how things develop, <clears throat> and then we we got tasked. Uh, the second do engine was going to go to that fire uh, or to that location. Sorry, um, but while all of these apparatus were getting filled at the hall, so we had our bush truck getting filled and sending. We had our uh, water tender getting full and getting ready to go, and then the second engine was getting full. So all of the people are hopping on apparatus, and they're all, quote, going to the same spot. Mm -hmm. So as I'm getting ready, I'm shouting, okay, I want this to go, I want this to go. 
And I look over at our second engine, which is the first arriving engine on that structure fire, and we've got um, one of our uh, more long, long-term members as a pump operator, very skilled uh, pump op there. And then we have two probationary firefighters. One of them was actually in the jump seat because that was the only seat left available. Um, one was in the back seat, and then we did en end up getting um, a uh, fairly skilled uh, and lengthy firefighter hop in the back seat at the end. But this is driving out of the, the, the bay as like I'm like, oh shit, like that truck's gonna need some more help because mm -hmm. now I'm hearing, hey, these guys are going to a structure fire. They're not just going to deploy um, and be additional support on more of a large scene. So that was very, very in, in that was very interesting to say the least. We um yeah, we ended cause, up because in reality, sorry, uh, in reality, it, they would have been like the fourth or fifth due unit. The engine would have been. Yes. Yeah. Because yes, that's exactly. just how we were rolling out for the wildfire. So when I saw this crew on that truck, I wasn't concerned about it at all. Like, everybody on that truck, like, not to sell our probationary firefighter short, not to sell, I mean, and then just having, so knowing that there was a good pump-off there and then a skilled firefighter in the back seat, that team could have gone and linked up with any other attack crew, yeah. and that would have blend, and they would blend in perfectly. Now, that being said, that team going in on an initial attack to a structure fire, um, eh, you know... With, with spreading grass fire around you. Yeah, like there, there's a lot happening, um, and that probably wouldn't be ideal in any situation. <laughs> so, um, things got a little bit more hectic there on the response side. Uh, I hopped into our second water tender. Uh, got ourselves on scene quickly, and actually one of our um, uh, lifetime members was the driver of the other uh, water tender that was the first one on scene applying water, and he's like, "Hey, you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna take over command here." I'm like, "Yep." Um, so like once I got there, I kind of realized all of these guys are geared up for wildland support. I'm like, okay, shit. I'm like, I need three firefighters in SCBA structural gear. We do have a, I mean, what appeared at the time, because it was like smoke was billowing out of the interior of the structure. I'm like, we have a working structure fire. Um, like, we're going to be going on the interior. Um, so we ended up getting the rescue truck deployed to our location for manpower with SCBA on board. We got those guys approaching at that time we had knocked down the exterior of the fire well actually i shouldn't say that the crew previous had the exterior basically knocked down um we just couldn't make entry to the structure so they right. did a really good job on the outside uh early on so there's a back deck that was burned out the entire back of the building all of the siding was burnt off all of the uh, soffits were burnt off, and then it was starting to push up into the attic. So they suppressed the exterior portion of it, um, which was really, really good. Uh, and then the guys made a quick push on the inside. I actually it wasn't even a push. I sent them in even without hose lines because once once we got the door open, I'm like, just do a, a, a hasty search. I want you guys just to do a targeted search. Uh, we got bedroom, bedroom. Um, just just confirm that there's no that, that there's no one in there. Um, we. Uh, there, there was no working fire on the inside of the building um, other than what was rolling a little up in the attic space. Uh, so they did a quick hasty search, confirmed came nothing there. Then the rest of the hose lines were uh, deployed. 
uh, some more application from the exterior up through those open sockets was perfect. They lobbed it up from the outside to the inside. The guys gained access from the inside, extinguished it within minutes. Like it, it all happened really quickly. Mm. But uh, if that went unnoticed for much for much longer, the heat level and the smoke layer in that house was like so low. Shit was melting off the walls. It was uh, uh it was pretty cool. We always talk about how awesome smoke alarms are. But as soon as there's heat, yeah, they suck. these smoke alarms are gone. <laughs> so you kind of get that beep, beep, <laughs> So that's what was happening. There was so much heat, but the smoke hadn't like really built, built up. Yeah, there was no fire inside, but it made noise for a bit. And there was a puddle in the middle of the floor as we went back through and swept up afterwards. It was like cool to see. But uh, yeah, again, like all of the news articles were saying that there was a structure lost. But uh, once we had everything knocked down, yeah, we were walking through there. It was... I mean, water damage are plenty, but um, yeah. I mean, there's yeah, I was a lot actually, of personal If that was just a regular, just, just a structure fire by itself, that would have been like a hell of a save. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> that on its own is a hell of a save. The reason, because we, because of the quick response, was because of that big white cloud of smoke from the from the wildlife the fire. Because yeah, that crazy I don't know if it would have got reported <laughs> as quick if it was just a structure fire. Because I don't think, like, it would have got going a lot more before we would have noticed it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, because you guys had the, the trucks on scene pretty quick. And it's a massive smoke cloud from the wildfire alerted us to the fire itself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Which originated in the vicinity of that house, one, one way or the other. Um, yeah, we're still on, yeah, we're still unclear on the uh, Of the actual the cause, yeah, ignition points and what all happened. But, like, it was in that side of it, which is why, again, if you didn't know that there was a structure there, like, you're seeing the direction to travel, um, and there was other structures that were being threatened. So that's going to be, I mean hindsight's twenty twenty, but I would still be thinking the, the, the exact same way. This thing is approaching other structures. Let's get a line mm-hmm. set out there. We can, you know, circle back once we have extra man, manpower and see what happened back back over here. But, I mean, everything else is being threatened to the south of where, like, what we could see was the ignition point, um, you know, without knowing that there was a structure there. Yeah. You know, it's interesting with uh, with that scrub brush that we have, or what is it called, antelope? Antelope brush. Antelope brush. Antelope brush. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When it burns, it actually burns very black. Yeah. yeah. Like, it burns, and it looks like a car's on fire or, or buildings on fire. Yeah. So, it's nicknamed like, Greasewood, too, right? Because of that, it's... Uh, it just yeah, Greasewood, yeah, right. Black. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, like, when you look at it burning, you're like, oh, my, how many houses are on fire right now? And we're just, over time, we've just learned that, no, that's just the way it looks like when it burns. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. it's kind of uh, deceiving, because you're not even, you didn't even know, you don't know there's actually a building in there. Because at one time during this fire, as it progresses, uh, it's a, like a car up too. There was a car up a little higher, like an older car. I don't think it was usable, but it, it, it goes up. And of course, we see black smoke again. We're like, okay. And then someone's like, I think a car's on fire too. Um, so yeah, it's very deceiving uh, kind of wildfire with those uh, when that scrub brush burns. Mm-hmm. And that was a, and that turned out to be quite a wind driven fire too. Like that was. The wind was yeah, pretty, uh, up and, wind, yeah. The wind was actually on our side. It was uh, it was blowing exactly where we needed it to blow. Kind of, I mean, it was blowing towards the structures. And if we didn't have structural protection of, uh, I'm guessing we would have been down three or four homes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we put the structural protection up, um, like I said, quickly with our first unit. And then uh, the bush truck actually rolled in and did uh, another house that was uh, just to the south of the two houses we were protecting with our engine. Nice. So, um, yeah. so with that, so once you guys started rolling and uh, getting that kind of first house knocked down and your other units were supporting, 
uh, and working some of the flanks. Then you guys started doing some of the like the pump and runs that we were practicing as well. Yeah, yeah, the guys are uh, kind of you know. There's always this joke that whenever we do a big scenario and uh, at the hall, like you know, we had this big scenario a couple of weeks ago on pump and run and all that stuff that we're gonna get the call and and it's happened. I think I want to say it happened more often than not when we do these scenarios. We get a very similar call a couple of weeks after. So sure enough, this kind of rolls in. Um, and it's obviously, it's fresh in our mind. So, um, we have set up anchor points and we're hosing it down. And then, uh, Warren and I, and he's the other officer we're discussing, we're like, Hey, I think we're, I think we have it pretty knocked down, but it's moving. So now we gotta, we gotta redeploy. So, uh, we start setting up the engine for a pump and run and we actually got the tender over, dropped the tank, dropped a, um, portable pump. And we actually fed it from the hydrant right into the tank and then set up uh, the portable pump to basically take over for the engine. So it freed the, uh, freed the first engine up and we did the, we did the hose line off the back like we had uh, talked about previously on the previous podcast. Right. And that worked really well. We actually didn't have, we didn't actually have to deploy it, but now we were a mobile unit. Uh, me and uh, Warren and I, so we actually just went by ourselves. We, you know, she said, yeah, go patrol. Um, see where this is headed because it was headed towards a bunch more, much more homes. Um, but by this time, forestry was uh, there in full, full, full support with, uh, with with the air tankers. That's right, because with that, like uh, you guys made the mutual aid call fairly early, um, and then we, of course, we sent up a uh, an engine and crew, and we were all jacked, thinking, listening, monitoring your channel, that we were going to be going up there doing. Uh, bumping around the structure protection as well but you guys had a pretty good grasp on you know what the threats were so we were uh, covering your community yeah and all i could hear is my phone in my pocket going ding, ding, <laughs> oh yeah ding. A little later it's todd uh hey send us in bring us in we're ready yeah, yeah. bring us in we're here ready we're here ready. hello here. ready <laughs> and i'm like i messaged you later i'm like i was i was close to but it, it was yeah. going up the hill so it wasn't much of the structures mm-hmm. no absolutely yeah but yeah, no, that was good. And then, yeah, you said you, so you had lots of air support. Yeah, uh, two, two tankers. Well, we had the bird dog first, uh, two tankers. Well, sorry, we had the chopper first. Um, Thank you. But he didn't have a bucket on. I think he was just doing eyes on. And then uh, the tankers came with the bird dog. They were doing a bunch of work there. And then later on, um, once the tankers were done doing their work, the choppers moved in. That's right. So... With that, I'm going to segue into Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit of the stuff about, uh, yeah, kind of aircraft usage and the kind of the crossover that we have in our area because we get sent, like, well, you guys have a very large um, wildland area, whereas our department doesn't have a very much, mm-hmm. very big area. However, we, we get called for support a lot from forestry, um, and so do you guys. However, there is a lot of situations where we're there making those calls, giving the reports to forestry. Sometimes in the past, there's been those conversations where we've actually had to call the, uh, the bird dog or the people in the chopper for bucket drops and some site-specific stuff. Um, so I'll hand it over to Mike and kind of talk about um, some of the things that they look for as a pilot coming in, how kind of the system works, um, some of the key things that they're doing and that they may want to hear from us when we're on there. Yeah. Take away, um, Mike. Well, I just, I'll, what I'll do, and I, I was, I was there, uh, 
my telephone as a backup for the, the second piloting crew for that fire. But realistically, from what you guys did yesterday is no different than what we did today in our town and every other day. And that is when we go interface, um, it, it steps up the game a little bit and that'll get called off of any any mountain or whatnot. And, and the level gets pinned up. But one of the things as a pilot that we notice the most when we show up as an interface, we're coming in, I'll speak on behalf of the, of the helicopter side first and then the airplane thing ties into it, is that aviation support is defensive. It's not offensive, and that's probably the biggest adjustment that now that I'm at a, at a structures department with our town mm-hmm. coming out of 15, 17 years of being aviation, I'm still aviation, but going through trainings and everything, the mindset is that we as a group are completely set on being offensive. Right. We're only defensive because we have to be waiting till we can go offensive. And 90 plus percent of aircraft usage in an interface fire is going to be defensive. And that includes collateral damage. So you guys were talking them about them as structures. We call them assets. Hmm. And we value an asset. Is it a shed with a boat in it or is it a house? And it never comes over the radio, but that's what we look at. And mm-hmm. we're, when we're in the air, we see far more than you also see on the ground. We see where the fire is going. We see the fuel type. And we may be doing things where... To a layman on the ground, which even may be members of our departments that don't get it or aren't in a command position to say, what what the hell are they doing way over there? Mm-hmm. Well, a rocky, you know, a, a rocky piece of ground with some sand or a creek that somebody doesn't see that's a natural guard, we're going to lay our 14,000 liters of retardant where it counts because we're only going to have one drop in an hour. And when we come back in an hour, that fire will have been past that or whatnot. So the biggest disconnect that I see when I'm on a, on scene as an interface fire is dealing with the guys on the ground that are being offensive or, or trying to be offensive, and we're trying to be defensive. And we're looking 30 minutes in advance. Like, you'll never see anybody bucket a burning tree. We're burning the tree in front of the burning tree that's not burning yet. Because that tree's already burning. Now, there's times where you do it, so you're stopping embers. But yeah. but that's the biggest shift in adjustment. And ironically, before I joined the department, I've done a lot of interface work in our in our area with you guys here sitting here that didn't mm-hmm. know me at the time. Yeah. You know, we have a history there on, on the board, 2015, this and that. And and, and it, it's, it's kind of unique. So you guys are doing your thing. When the bird dog shows up, he's looking at... The defensive stop and hold. Yeah. Which could be a quarter mile, half a mile, a long ways away. And there's no communication between the ground and the air other than the IC. Yeah. And, and they take over. So what's what's really, you know, we saw it today where uh, in our fire, you know, uh, in our town where Todd and I are from is that it didn't seem like there's rhyme or reason. And then 30 minutes later, the fire's contained and stopped. And everyone's like, oh, wow, that was, you know, they're, they're professional, but it's from two different, two different mindsets. Mm-hmm. And if I could do anything in coming into, you know, this forum even is to blend the gap between what's practical, what we actually can do, and an understanding of what's going on from volume of water, time, defensive, those kind of things. There is a lot of 
education that could make things more cohesive. I think that's key. And we've spoken in the past about the mindset of the structural firefighter. Yeah. And you, you nailed it. Like, we are default aggressive. Like, that's what we want to do. The fastest way to remove the threat is to remove the threat. So that's the biggest switch for us when we go into the wildland scenario is to be able to sit back and think and like like says look ahead um and we we learned that we we didn't learn it but we finally were able to deploy it in in real time on the Christie Mountain Fire um and we we've been doing that a little bit more here um definitely something that we were less likely to do say back in 2015 mm, which yeah. uh you know you had some some eyes in the sky on on that one and saw you know a situation that which we have spoke about briefly on the podcast before yeah but could have went really bad yeah, and, yeah and, so let's let's set that up real quick so that one so mm -hmm. that far it was the one truck headed headed up one of the driveways oh what is your call yep Oh, <laughs> you guys want to keep, okay, keep we'll, going? Okay, we'll continue on here. So, um, so yeah, so we, uh, you guys, there's, there's, you, Scott, you're saying that you guys headed up in the engine, uh, and then the yeah, tent. Yeah, so it was, it was a weird night because there, there was a big windstorm that kicked up uh, yeah. that night. Uh, it was actually a thunderstorm that lit another fire. That, that this is in 2015, right? Yeah, 2015. Yeah. Well, the power lines came down. And so, so the south, there was, the a, there was a, a big thunderstorm that rolled through that lit a fire on top of the mountain. So we were watching that from the hall, and then uh, it was a windstorm. So we got a we got a power line down call. So we rolled out to this power lines down, and um, our the, in the engine. So the engine's parked there. We're looking at the lines. We're calling. We're calling the power company, and we're waiting. And then uh, this other call comes in for a small grass fire. So, of course, there's guys at the hall. Um, and for whatever, oh, so yeah, sorry. Then the second engine goes to the grass fire, which was actually down below. And then the tender started rolling and right away there was a call for a bigger fire up on top of this mountain. So yeah. the tender actually gets ahead of all of us because it was already rolling. So we were, we were, we were repositioning our truck. So we ended up getting behind the tender. So we're driving behind the tender. We're probably a quarter mile back. And then we're getting closer and closer. And then finally well, we pulled into this kind of dirt road. There's a, there's a fire call right now, so just stand by for a moment. Is actually a fire now? My radio's in my truck, so I can't hear what you guys are going on. Sorry there, podcast listeners. We're just going to press pause. Hey, guys. Sorry about that. So, uh, yeah, the boys just had a fire call here, so we'll work on some editing here in a bit. Um, Scott, do you want to pick up where you left off there? Yeah, so, uh, like I was saying, the tender... Uh, it managed to get ahead of us in the um, in the chain, <laughs> so it was actually rolling in. Uh, we were down down the dirt road. We could see the uh, smoke cloud. We weren't sure exactly because there's fairly uh, no, it wasn't heavy timber. It's not like northern heavy timber, but there was a you know, fair amount of trees. So I remember the tender driving in down the dirt road, and it kind of disappeared. And we were still a fair distance back, and all of a sudden we could just see the flames rip up over and like basically right where the tender was, um, go, like, go across the road. And we're like, oh. So we just stopped the truck. And it was like, probably one of the worst feelings because I'm like, nothing we can do for those guys. Um, we still have a job to do, which is to like structures. 
we can't push in there because we're driving an engine. It's not like we can even fight the fire and get in there to help them. So it was kind of like, okay, um, they're kind of on their own. And um, they recognized it pretty quick, I think. Um, they they called, uh, I'm not sure, they didn't call them Mayday. They, because, um, you know, it's, I think it's like that thing, you know, what, uh, Todd, you know, when people get, um, they're choking and they go in the bathroom and they don't want to, they want, they don't want to say that they're, they're in danger. Exactly. Yeah. So I remember distinctly hearing over the radio, them saying, Hey, we're a little stuck in here. <laughs> and then dispatch goes, what do you mean? And they're like, well, we're surrounded by fire. <laughs> yeah. And it's pretty calm. The driver's car, the officer was calm. And, um, so right away, the dispatcher was awesome. He went, Oh, so he, he, went mayday he, he called the mayday like he sorry he didn't call mayday, he didn't mayday, call mayday, but he started actioning over the radio yeah and started all the um proper things rolling i think they got the burn chopper or the burn unit like square whatever um bc ambulance uh, uh on standby all that stuff they got choppers come in and yeah he started the ball rolling pretty good and i think that's where mike's gonna take over and fill his side because he was actually up in the air yeah, exactly. So just just before Mike, yeah, you nailed it there. So the dispatcher started pooling resources right away and calling on comms. And that's when the other guys finally reached the point and said, no, we need help. We're trapped. Uh, and as soon as it, that key word came out is we're trapped, I, I remember specifically the dispatcher saying, uh, which unit is it? Where are you? I have a helicopter coming to you. And segue Mike. Yeah, I... I... I was on whatever radio it was, I guess Silver, and I heard the transmission, and it was, we're sheltering in the truck is when we picked up. Now, you know, the, there, there's a couple things I'd like to talk about later, but one of the lessons of this is that knowing, you know, the situational awareness of support, because I was halfway back to Penticton, I was the last of four aircraft and it was oh dark 30 when we got to be on the ground the dark and i had to get permission uh from air to turn around to the initial thought was was going in and, and picking guys up because they're surrounded or, or second is can we put water on the truck or do something or, or eyes on the ground like a lot of what we do is is you know, incident command, and we're given that role a fair bit to the guys that are on the, you know, the inner circle of the, the government machines, and uh, I, I have the photos of, it was the only column of smoke in, in the whole side of the hill, like, it was it was kind of surreal that uh, that it happened, but yeah, I, uh, I turned around, I was about Gallagher Lake, and, and turned around, and uh, Everyone got in there, but you know, in the in the photos, you can see it was dark and uh, there was no help. Like when when you, you know, we call it bingo fuel or the witching hour or whatnot. And and again, that's kind of what I was talking to Ash about. Like we have a saying in 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 wildland or bush, it, it's just a fire. We're we're losing trees, the assets you call them structures, but whatever's burning. And I'll get to this. That bug is a pet peeve. Should be evacuated. You mm-hmm. know the the life and law. Lo- <clears throat> you know life is not lost at that point. Everyone should be gone. So, so 
any wildland firefighter structure, anybody, whether they're standing there flip-flops with their garden hose thinking they're going to protect their house from a, a mile-wide, you know, rank five wall of flame, uh, you know, you, you have to pick your battles and decide it's just a fire. Do I need to be here? Because no one's coming. You know, and, and that's got to sink in uh, to to everyone, not not just uh, because, you know, it, it all worked out, but I had a front row seat to what could have been really, really bad because there's nothing you can do. We can't fly in the dark. There's no tankers. There's no more trucks. We don't, we don't mm. send 17 people in to rescue one person on a collapsed building or whatnot it, it's you know there's that realization that it's like was just it, a fire. You, did you come low and blow the smoke away as i would I, I can't remember no just as i was just as i was getting there the guys got out okay. and we kind of stood down and we all then all right. headed i actually had to divert to oliver sorry i guess we'll have to right. i i had to divert uh to our to our airfield and i actually didn't get home that night so yeah. we had to remove. We had to move all of our program down to because, you know, um, we've had other incidences in our in our area recently where, you know, the beauty of a of a helicopter is we can land anywhere and and it is what it is. But uh, yeah. you know, I, I took it to our department to, as lessons learned, and, and it's not just here. That it's been the stories I can tell from Australia where it's really bad, where people are they're encouraged or they have this mentality that I'm going to save my house with a garden hose and my flip flops. Yeah. And you know, it's not, and it's, there's a wall of fire that you are not going to deal with. And now when you do stay there or you make those poor decisions to stop what I call just a fire, uh, now you're going to affect everybody else is going to come try and help you because you made a bad decision. Yeah, and and was, you're talking about lessons learned, and just watching the last couple fires, the big wildlife fires, um, it's definitely working, or it has that lesson has sunk in because um, even the other night, uh, I was very happy that we went fully um, defensive, um, not a lot of aggressive. I, I think one thing like Asherson, like we're aggressive, we are aggressive on structures now. We used to be the other way around. We used to be defensive on structures and aggressive on wildland. And that didn't always go well. <laughs> there right. was times when we would get, you know, kind of in the, in the shit and, you know, luckily we always got out and now we flipped it. And now we are fairly aggressive on a structure. Um, because I, I always say that structures are easier to fight. I think than uh, than a wildland fire, the structures are usually inside a box yeah. that we can control more or less. I mean, you know, it's obviously structural collapse and stuff. Structure fires are actually very easy to fight overall compared to a wildlife fire, which literally at a, at a at the shift of the wind can uh, can roll right over us. Um, so I, I'm happy to see that we've learned, and yeah, it'd be nice that everybody learns that, it, like you said, it should be treated as a defensive um, well, thing, not a not an offensive. You know what's really interesting is I got into it when we were doing our this a couple of years ago now with our department is there's a lot of stuff that's lost on. The people that are so wrapped up, myself included, and in, on a structural being and training, training, training. Like, you know, we're trying to wrap our heads around, you know, how to, you know, you're grabbing a hydrant, do this, do this, and it's just a saturation of information. That this is the one thing you don't think is going to happen. But you know, one of the, the the funniest, call it the stupidest things that we talk about wind direction, and nobody understands. <laughs> 
for the most part, even wildland guys, they're kids. What does the wind direction shift mean? So I'll, I'll put it to you this way. So especially in a grass fire, why this is so important. So if you have a finger of a fire, it might be 30 to 100 feet wide, and it's going westbound through the grass, and we're trying to work on either side of it, pulling hose, digging guard of a flank that's 30, it's not even a big fire, it's 30 feet, and let's say it runs out five, six, seven hundred meters. If the wind shifts 90 degrees, you now have a 500 or seven mile long flame front now going the other way. So you just went from a 30 meter fire to a thousand meter fire in a matter of a minute or two. Right. So if you're working the flank, and it, it's funny because even anybody listening to this, trying to wrap their head around that, if you draw it on a whiteboard at the hall, whichever hall you're in, wrap your head around that and draw a line and then say, okay, in 30 seconds, this rank five or four or three fire, whatever it is, is going to turn 90 degrees. You now have a, a one kilometer, a 500 meter fire where you thought you had this little three, 30 meter fire that you were working the flanks on a finger. And that's lost on one or two year wildland kids. Yeah. It's there, there's so much to it and it just, it's not the news and it, it's, it's dynamic and the simplest things like water usage is, is big. Um, but something as simple as, well, what, why do we keep talking about wind change, wind change, wind change? Because it goes from small to big in a matter of minutes. Yeah. And that, that is one of the biggest thing. And that you get that with experience because I find you get a lot of uh, the newer people, new generation that are learning uh, the wildland techniques coming from structure departments and stuff. Um, and I'd say they, they start to understand it. But until you get that experience and need that situational awareness to be able to identify what the wind is doing, what the fire activity is doing, and just this, that whole picture that we talk about, um, and that's going to change our fire attacks, it's going to change our water usage, it's going to change all sorts of things. So, yeah, you nailed it. And, and, and barriers back to the fences. There's no point in putting a bunch of your water. If you got 3,000 liters, 3,000 gallons, whatever it is, and there's a creek a quarter mile up the road what are we wasting our water for mm -hmm. let's just watch it go to the creek it's you're not going to put it out yeah you learn you know? to learn to wait little things like that you. And, yeah. you know and, and one of the things that ash touched on in the background if if you as a structures department or a volunteer department in your town and you're dealing with airplanes or helicopters as a quote interface you're already in the big show there, there's no there's there's no small program you have to think of the bigger picture it, it, it's not this you know i don't think what we're talking about here is wildland fire we're talking about interface firefighting yeah. in our town and the airplane showed up like your town yesterday our town today we're in the houses we're in the town and the big show comes in it's still an interface non-rural fire that you know is, is using rural fire tactics in amongst our town and there's a shift there. Like, it's still a big deal, you know. Um, so, with that, so like, you know, we were talking uh, earlier before we started recording, as far as uh, kind of key communication and things, you know, that would make your job easier as a pilot or bucketing or communication and stuff like that uh, for us guys on the ground. You want to talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, it's always kind of hard because there'll be the incident commander that, or or uh, a sector chief that will look after a said uh, zone, and they'll get on on you know silver in our district. But whether it's mm-hmm. you know whatever radio frequency that you're talking to the air, um, the airplanes are going to do their own thing typically because they're they're in the bigger picture. But when the one assets that's never typically used as effective is, is the, the buckets or the, the helicopters, even with tanks. And two things happen is I think one is the, the ground crews, A, don't realize, A, how much water we have. It looks like a pretty small bucket under a helicopter, but it's you know typically 400 plus gallons of water. Well, what's 400 gallons look like coming out of your hose? And the second is how accurate or what that 400 gallons does or the time in between 400 gallons. And what do we see is that, you know, there's crews, they'll either stand around thinking that they need to be safe and out of the way because there's a wrecking ball coming, which usually isn't the case. Like we fill a bladder on the ground or a relay tank, as you call them with structures, means we can put it in the back of your pickup or do whatever as well. So we we talked about this in our debrief today about even the, the tankers, like, the, the time that's lost from inactivity on the ground because they're unaware of the capability or the precision of said helicopter or a tank or whatnot is, are we losing minutes or, or you know, a, a block of time offensively and defensively because everyone's unaware of a, how accurate or I could dig this handguard and take three guys you know, an hour, or I can bring in the helicopter and ask them to put two buckets and build a wet line where it's, there's not a lot of fuel and we can use those resources other ways. And, and it's, it's not easy. It, it, it's, we could, you know, go on and on. We could go from department to department, but from, from me looking down, um, we fly around waiting for someone to ask us a question or ask our input. And we're not the type to, it's not our place to tell, I see on the ground what we think. Um, you know, in theory, we're just pilots, but I've been doing it for 17 years too. And I may, if, if asked, I would give a maybe an update or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And there's crews like, you know, the guys here, you know, in our district, there, there's, and, and just like every weather in California, Oregon, Texas, BC, Alberta, um, there's guys that do this as casually. And then there's a group of us that do it professionally. Not that everybody's skill set, but the mindset is to work with a ground crew and know what we're doing and achieve the goal. And more communication from anybody on the ground to the aircraft up high is better. Because mm-hmm. quite often we just fly around and we're not going to go in where there's people because, you know, there, there's some protocol there. But if, you know, somebody says, hey, I'm the guy with the waving hat on the left side of the, or, you know, the north side of the, the you know, the red roofed building. I could use three buckets here. We're right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what I see is a real lack of probably willingness or not wanting to be that person on the ground, whether it's an IC or a sector chief or whatnot that says I could use some help. Um, just ask. Uh, I, you know. I think part of it is, uh, is no one, as, as a lot of people never tell us that we can ask, uh, especially the choppers because you know, you can't really, I don't know if you can ask a water bomber to bomb something. Yeah, no. <laughs> they're, they're typically a little bit more, uh, you know, they get the bird dog doing their thing and 
Yeah, the return I line is always know, very defensive. Uh, until a couple of fires uh, that we could actually just get on the radio and be like, hey, and, and we didn't know, we, you know, we don't know how to call this stuff. And this is kind of comes back to the discussion we were having earlier is there should almost be a course that, you know, whether it's a senior officer takes or someone, someone takes over the radio and they just literally monitor error mm-hmm. because, um, you know, they're like, hey, guy in the purple helicopter, can you put a bucket over here? Um, we, we've done that a few times, but we're, we're kind of like, are we supposed to be doing this? But that, that's how it goes. And, and you're, you're there. And, and that's, that's kind of yeah. what I'm getting at. Like call it an officer's course or whatnot, but you know, we're, we're there and, and we'll, we, we do that. And, you yeah. know, kind of contrary to everything I said, when it comes to retardant drops on the airplanes, they're defensive, but we can get offensive with the helicopters Yeah, and, the and, and do a lot of, do a lot of work. Like literally, like. You think in, in three buckets I'm filling a, your, your bladder that's going to last you an hour. So if, if I'm doing a two-minute turn and I can put out somebody's front yard and take it off the doorstep of a house, your structure of protection is over. You can move to the next house. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what I see. And it's it's not frustrating, but because you understand, uh, you know, what's happened. At least I do because I'm on both sides. Um, but more knowledge, like I, I put together a little powerpoint thing just for our group just to you know with photos this is what thirteen thousand liters of retardant coming out of an airplane looks like this is what 400 gallons looks like coming out of a helicopter mm-hmm. and i tell you what if you hung the bucket in your in your hall and you pulled the pin on 400 gallons in three seconds it's a lot of water yeah and it's a lot of water fast like three two three four minute turns you have six five helicopters it's um, important to know what that volume looks like in real yeah. life when it's sprayed out and the area and like you said then not to waste your drops too and that's yeah. why it's important to ask those questions like you said like and, and keep it simple like mm-hmm. you know we always used to overcomplicate scott we were talking about this the other day about, about your work and a few other events yeah. you know that just that simple language simple communication um yeah. it just goes a long way purple helicopter well, works yep. it is yeah. what it is yeah you know so you don't need like we, that's one thing we were in clear on like we don't we don't need to give tail numbers or that stuff we just literally say purple helicopter yep and then what's the best direction to give like do we so, give uh, well, the it, compass direction or do we give like this, this is you know this is our board so and this is this is it doesn't matter what industry you're in this is funny but if you're calling in an aircraft or anybody um you know the, the old classic is you're at my four o'clock well, where are you? So, you know, you're looking at the clock angle of the aircraft, uh, the helicopter, say, I'm at your 11 o'clock, approximately half a mile or three kilometers or whatever. Uh, I'm standing here. I'm the guy with the waving hard hat. So you call it at the clock of the, whichever way the nose of the helicopter's Yep. Yep. I remember one of our guys called once. He goes, "Hey, I need you to, I need you to drop a bucket over by this burning tree." And <laughs> the pilot comes back. He's like, "Everything's burning down there." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like as an example, uh, you know, when we had that 2015 fire and it first started, there was the house up on the ridge with the green roof and and the balcony. Yeah. You know, that's where I was. Yeah. Well, so then you, yeah, so you're calling me in, and the other thing, I come into a house, and there's there's seven firefighters surrounding a house. And they need a drop on said whatever. Um, you know, we're coming in at 100 knots and slowing down. And, you know, through all this, we're actually flying, trying to put out a fire, uh, do all this. And, okay, I'm the guy on the south waving the hard hat. 
I'm yeah. gonna come back and say, "Don't see you, don't see you." Okay, keep coming, keep coming. I'm at your eleven o'clock. Oh, I got you now. Okay, you got me. Yep, clear. Where do you want it or point? Like when I go yeah. back to being the precision, you don't need to run away and be four hundred feet away. Go stand and touch the tree you wanted or whatever, <laughs> uh, or say, you know, do you see me? The tree twenty meters to my left. And oh, by the way, on that actual house. After seven buckets, we realized inside the smoke there was massive set of power lines that nobody knew about. Right, right. So, so it's it's no different than your crews. When you you, you need to dummy it down, you dummy it down. It, it's not the military. It's not. It's a it's a bunch of guys in the air, like it is a bunch of guys on the ground. And when the metal meets the meat, you you just you got to get it done, and you just get it done. You know. No Would you ever suggest anything. having like a, a colored panel, like, a, like even a garbage bag, or like a we, orange garbage bag or something? Or like it, it, it's another one of my my things. So in Australia, we have they call them a splash mat, which is a piece of genius. It's a tarp with a white air. It's orange with a white arrow on it. And a lot of us have gone down to Oz, come back, even on you know our our provincial uh, com- you know program, and it makes a lot of sense. But we have not adopted it, but it works brilliantly. You say, yep, you got me. I'm the guy with the waving mat hat. Yep, gotcha. Got a splash mat. I need it on the mat or 303 meters off the arrow type thing. Um, that's more mop up than than what we, you know, you know, by the time, by the time, by the time you guys are, you know, you're not in the mop up stage. You're in the aggressive. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's I, I'm not a fan of codes. Even in yeah. our department, um, I have a big, big background in in heliskiing, which we have a an emergency plan activated every six to nine days, mm-hmm. with life and death consequences. Yeah, and everyone tries this code thing, and you know, we even got into it with our, you know, using a name. Well, that's all stuff for the debrief after the fact. It, it's not going to. I'm not a fan of codes. Plain English, plain speak. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not the police. We're not a SWAT team. We're, we're a group of guys and girls trying to put a fire out. It is what it is. You know, clear communication. Uh, well, we've all had that conversation. So, yeah. Purple helicopter. What's your name? Oh, my name's Mike. Okay, great. Okay, Ash. Yeah, Mike. Hey, Ash. It's, it's Ash over here on the left flank. Hey, Ash. I'll be there in a second. Okay, thanks, Mike. Hey, hey, Mike, it's Todd over here on the north flank. We use three buckets or we need a wet line to advance. Mm-hmm. Okay, Todd will be right there. You know, we talk about people listening. Well, it is what it is. We're, you know, this isn't this isn't a criminal event. Um, no. I, I'm a big, big fan of plain speak. Mm-hmm. You guys don't have time to try and remember call signs and protocols. Hey, it's Mike in the big black and yellow helicopter. I'll be there in two seconds or I got to go for fuel. But you guys, you know, that's another thing. Like, you know, back to time. We've talked about, you know, an aircraft or a group of tankers shows up. They might have a one-hour turnaround. Yeah. So think defensively. If I go in there, you know, we always will tell the guys, you know, I got three buckets left. I got to go for fuel. Don't do anything stupid because I'm going to be gone for half an hour. Yeah. I not have a bailout. So hang tight. Stay in the rock and watch. When I get back, we'll go offensive and work that line. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. and. It, again, it's hard because, you know, you guys just left on a call for, you know, whether it's a car, it's just one more stack of 
a lot of stuff to know on top of an already large stack of stuff yeah. to know. Yeah, and that's reverting back to what we just spoke about is that, that you know, that's a simple, short, sweet communication. Keep it simple. That's the way to go. That makes it a plain speech and away you go. Um, I just wanted to say when you mentioned that, that reminded me of, of an event I was on in 03. Um, I was working a fire with my crew uh, with forestry at the time, and we were hitting this one uh, flank very aggressively. It was very aggressive fire behavior, and we had good chopper support, good bucket support, um, and then they say, yeah, we're taking off the airport for fuel. Okay, turnaround time was whatever amount of minutes. Nothing alarming, like totally, okay, yeah, we got a good cat guard in place. They're going to be coming up here to support. We know it's going to increase that fire activity a bit. So we kind of kept on doing our thing. And then nothing, nothing. Call for call for some support. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Premier decided to fly in to check out the fires. So they've closed the airspace at the airport. So they had to fly to a different airport for fueling, which was Kamloops, mm-hmm. uh, longer ways away. Um, so we lost our, our air support for, I think it was about an hour and a half, two hours. Um, and then, but sure enough, at that time, it jumped the guard, took off. We actually had to run down the cat guard for our escape, our escape route, yeah. me and my crew. You know, another, that's how, that's how aggressive Another was. bad one with interface fires I've had, at, uh, on, on the 2015 where you're grounded half a day is drones. Mm-hmm. So when you guys get into an interface fire, um, it's always good to have the RCMP around because as soon as there's a drone sighting, um, we're on the ground so yeah and you don't know like we were we were up in the vineyard hill here and five of us in a, in a circuit and actually ironically the premier came in an hour after we were already grounded and and she landed and well what are you all doing sitting drink coffee well there's there, it actually just missed me i never did see it the bird dog was six thousand feet above us hmm. and the drone was so big and he didn't have call signs. He says, "Hey, the the big yellow helicopter, the you know the yellow four twelve. There, uh, you see the drone just off your right side, six thousand feet away. He saw it. That's how big it was. Hmm. And we were just up here on the the winery of uh, thirteen, and uh, right. And we sat in the ground for three hours. Wow, eh? yeah. You know, so when you're you're making an offensive push, again, I, I'm I'm a big fan of the old saying. It's just a fire defensive." with the odd chance of offensive, you know. Sure. Seems like that kind of is the fallback for everybody. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a structure fire or a grass fire or a big wildfire. You're going to get the people that are curious and they're going to be in the way. Yeah. So we had that on our previous call. I don't know how much of this I just missed, but, like, we had that on our previous call where there was people everywhere. Like, we couldn't even get through. trucks everywhere. It was a disaster. Like, and people point, are like asking me, hey, you need some help? I'm like, yeah, I need you to get the hell out of my way. Yeah, because my help's coming. I got an apparatus come in. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> like, you're going to stand there and are you going to help me? Yeah. And they're like, well, no. But do you need any more help? <laughs> that was <laughs> like, us today. Yeah, same thing. Get out of here. Like, I get it, right? And then yeah. the other side of it is the drones because it's so easy. So now they're not going to be leaving the comfort of their car or in some cases their, their home. Yeah. They're just going to send this, this drone. You know, which Check is no more than a toy, but can do billions of dollars of damage. But, and, and kill somebody. And then kill yeah. people, Down right? So yeah. I, uh, I want to get one of those drone cannons that the freaking Biden's got, the, the, the Secret Service has now. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> down down drones, that'd be fun. 
Yeah. Or we can just get a shotgun. Well, welcome back, Ash. <laughs> yeah, thanks. We forgot to announce your return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I snuck uh, in semi yeah, a few moments ago. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, that, uh, you talked about the, the people wanting to help. Uh, I was jumping ahead to our fire that we had today. Again, you know, uh, hard access, we're in there. We had an anchor point. We're doing structure protection. And the vehicles were ridiculous. Like, the looky-loos and then people going up to help the homeowner. Um mm-hmm. It was very challenging getting them turned around, getting them to exit. Uh, we needed a turnaround for our tenders. Um, once we had our engines in place, it was not bad, but that first initial moment was was tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was actually funny on that fire the other day. We were pulling line for the hydrant. And we had a little, little bit of a stretch. We were like handjacking it, like pulling it towards it. And one of those yeah. guys like, hey, you want me to help you? I'm like, yeah. If you, I'm, like, I'm like, sure. It's freaking hot. We're working hard, so I'm like, yeah, you can help me. He pulls probably, pulled about 30 feet. <laughs> He's like, I'm done. <laughs> he walked away. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's really helpful. Thank you. Thanks. But, you know, he got the taste that he didn't want to have. <laughs> He's like, I don't want any of this part. So he, he quickly drove away. <laughs> <laughs> I've used that at work. Here's a, here's a squirrel. Uh, used that at work. We had it. We had a man down. Lifestyle is questionable. We roll up. This uh, gentleman is heavily intoxicated, needing a ride to go to detox or to uh, the tank, wherever he was going to go. And he was sitting upright, talking to us, trying not to shit and puke on himself. And uh, a little bystander comes running up. Well, hey, can I help? Like, no, no, we're okay, thanks. Yeah, but I'm a doctor. Can I help? I'm like, well, not unless you want to put him in your car and drive him home. Mm-hmm. Big, long, awkward pause. He stared at me. No, I'm good. Turned around and left. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Squirrel. Um, what else? We're going to talk about... So We talked a lot about the helicopters. Uh, I think Mike was going to talk a little bit about air um, tankers. Yeah. Uh, so we, that, yeah. we brought this up at our, at our debrief today, actually. Um, we... The, the, we touched on it here. Ash just jumped in. Touched on the lost time or or misspent time trying to not be around at working aircraft. And so, you know, again, for everyone that uh, I'm, the U.S. is similar, but definitely in Canada, uh, how a tanker program works is can be up to a 30 minute lead up where if everyone's standing around waiting to be out of the way of the tanker drop, they just lost 30 minutes because they didn't understand. So, uh, primarily, uh, little disclaimer actually, and that this is, you know, a lot of opinion. I don't work for the, you know, for the government or whatnot, but this is how it's been working for the 17 years I've been around is that when the bird dog shows up, he's given incident command of a wildfire not necessarily an interface fire, but of a wildfire, the incident command on the ground relinquishes control to the incident commander in the bird dog. Um, The bird dog incident commander rarely will override other than he will deny a drop or not suggest that he's going to waste 15,000 liters of retardant on a a stupid drop or a misinformed. It goes back, not that the guy on the ground doesn't know what he's doing, but he's not looking at the bigger picture from 5,000 yeah. feet. Yeah. yeah, Fuel type, slope, wind, all those things. Um, there's usually three of these people in the bird dog, so it's not just one rogue guy. Um, and highly, highly experienced. The, the bird dogs have spent years at forestry, worked their way into that 
coveted position because it's air conditioned and and uh, yeah <laughs> that kind of thing. But they will typically be on scene what could be ten minutes to half an hour, forty five minutes before what's called a tanker stack. So you'll look up and very, very high, you'll see a series of tankers now orbiting in a holding pattern. Yep. And they're talking to the bird dog who is coming up with a strategy with the tanker pilots on whether it's a good drop, safe, whatnot strategy. So you'll see that bird dog and he may make multiple passes of the same run. Well, what he's doing is he's actually talking with the pilots, planning the run for the drops so that it's crystal clear of what they're going to do because they only get one shot. That whole time that bird dog's around, you're in there digging guard, doing your thing. And that's kind of what I think we lost a little bit today because it just was chaos for, you know, innocent bystanders or whatnot. When that bird dog or when the tankers are going to come down to the lower stack and get ready to drop, the bird dog will come down and make one, possibly two pass, but usually just one pass with his siren on the, on the fast, uh, the the fast whale or the, the warble or the wobble it, right? or the yeah. warble, whatever. Yeah. And that pass is usually the lowest pass so that everyone on the ground can hear the warble siren. And at that point, here come the tankers. And there may be a pause because there'll be usually two to three tankers in a stack. And while they're in the lower stack, tankers from another base may be up at 20,000 feet. So there may be a delay, but there may be more tankers. So, when you hear the warble, here come the drops. That's when you clear, get by your tree, be aware of what's happening. And then from there, the retardant will come in, or skimmers as an example, doesn't necessarily retardant. Mm -hmm. um, or even some of our tank helicopters, like I run a tank on ours and we've got a siren. And when they're done with tanker action, that same bird dog will make one, likely two passes with the low sounding whale, which signifies the all clear. And if, if any department chief or anyone that's listening realistically the only thing you need to know and everything i just said is the difference between the two yeah when you hear the siren the warble here it comes when you hear the low slow wail, they're leaving and you can go back to work mm -hmm. and i think too like a lot of people they they see the bird dog come in and do that and a lot of guys tend to overreact and try and run and clear out of the area it's like as long as you're situationally aware of where those planes are you know and you start making your way uh to some safe ground you're going to be sufficient mm -hmm. you're, you're going to be fine mm -hmm. um and if it takes you longer to get there than you expected you probably should have been there in the first place yeah so and there's sometimes you just got to paint it red yeah, and shit happens, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The wind shifts, uh, the drop might have to change at the last moment. Um, it all washes off. Absolutely. It's protocol yeah. to do these things, but we got a lot of red, quite a lot of red stuff today at the hall to wash off. But uh, <laughs> Now, is there, do the bird dogs ever um, drop a little, like a tracer run of something? Not anymore. No. Nope. Yeah, the, that's kind of the. I was brought up today. So the old, the old cloth. We'll do with helicopters, and we'll have a maybe we'll have a uh, instant commander that shows up in the smaller administration machine, admin machine, that will drop you know streamers. That's more lightning strike, things like that. It's nothing that we as a as a department of structure or townships will will deal with. You know, um, wouldn't call it urban myth. One of the reasons is is that. The old slow airplanes are gone. You know, the bird mm -hmm. dogs now are three, four hundred, you know, three hundred knots, and 
yeah. you know, the planes are getting bigger and bigger and there's more and more and, and you can't go slow. And, um, you know, we're, we're actually, the, we had run the 737s uh, down in Australia and one of the problems we're actually dealing with is that the windows are so small and the planes are going so fast. They're having to do like seven or eight laps in these jets that are heavy having to go fast and they actually aren't going slow enough with big enough windows to actually see where and what they need to do. Right. And we actually have a lot of mist drops because these planes are so big and so have to go so fast that there's some some drama. So, but uh, did, did one of those uh, planes make it up here? I heard. Uh, so there's been there, there's been a shift. Uh, we don't have the seven thirty sevens, but they're converting so a lot of the uh, uh, AVRs and some of the jet stuff that's a bit bigger. But uh, yeah, I, I don't, you'll never see the seven forty sevens or. That, that's Australia in their uh, in their glory, <laughs> and the yeah, Americans. It's, it's a little big. See, the, the thing is, California is always burning while we're burning, so it, it's uh, you know it's two different islands on the same island. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of takeaways, and there's a lot of um, uh, I guess there's conversations that need to be had to. Remember to keep things simple, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when we're in the shit. Um, and yeah, we talked a little bit about doing some kind of local awareness, if you will, at the departmental level for mm-hmm. communications and things. And I think that's, I think that's, that's key, key, right? Just some awareness, uh, kind of bridging that, that gap. Cause, yeah. You know, you're a resource that we would never get access to uh, in the means that we can sit down like this and then sit down and have a bit of a round table. Uh, with some leadership and command staff uh, from all of our local departments, because um, outside of you know listening to it on silver when you know you guys are up in the air uh, and doing it live, uh, when can you have these you know slowed and you know break it down and talk about the simplicities that that we can make your guys' life a lot easier and vice versa. Like you guys can save us a lot of hassle because we're running out there doing work that we realistically probably don't need to be doing. Because, like in Wildland, let it come to you. Don't rush out there and stretch 20 hose lines mm-hmm. to go chase a fire that your fire truck shouldn't be attached to and chasing anyway. But it, it goes both ways because, you know, I have to teach our line pilots. Mm-hmm. You don't drop 400, you know, gallons of water on the rooftop. Otherwise, there's going to be a hole in the roof. Yeah. yeah. So we don't, you know, like, so the same education does go both ways. Absolutely. You know, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. the stuff we've, you know, you would, you'd think you do and see. So it, it's, and one of the other things as a takeaway is that the Forest Service is really changing in experience levels as well, mm-hmm. as is our, our departments. Like, our departments mm-hmm. will become, you know, going through a growth and, call it a, a green phase well you know government agencies at every in, in every state and province that i because you know in our deal we we are national we i was in ontario alberta only place i haven't actually done anything is in saskatchewan <laughs> you know and saskatchewan is completely different from alberta which is completely different from bc like you know no defense the alberta guys or the ontario guys show up and we have to buy them hiking boots because they've got gum boots Right. That kind of thing. And it's nobody's mm-hmm. fault. It's just the way it is. Like, things are done differently everywhere. Right. So. I just lost Scott. They're calling back. Yeah. You know, there's, um. yeah, again, there's so many takeaways. 
that uh, I think all of us need to just kind of keep talking about and keep learning. Because um, there's, there's like we have a lot of guys who are very forestry minded individuals, um, but we need to bring that same awareness level up to a lot of other members in the departments. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, Ash, do you have anything more? Uh, it's tough to say because I missed a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, that's so we yeah we covered a lot while you were out uh, doing your your firefighting activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty exhilarating. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> but I mean, these are the things that we do. Uh, just a super quick brief. Yeah, it was a, a potential burning complaint. Uh, so we're like extreme fire hazard here at the moment, and there was a report of somebody having um, a campfire bonfire like nothing out of the ordinary for our area but with the fire hazard definitely out of the ordinary um so the chief and the duty officer responded uh obviously with myself here and a few pretty close living members uh we ended up uh hopping in the engine uh we responded routine ended up being a guy doing like those twirling fire stick things so like again like fire flies off of these things it's Basically shooting embers and burning fuel <laughs> off into the brush. Uh, and they ended up obviously stopping and putting it out right away. But this is, you know, 10 o'clock plus at night. And, you know, a crew of, there was probably 10 of us that responded to the hall. And then X of us responded out to scene. Um, just because somebody wasn't thinking. Like, it's tinder dry out there. Yeah. Maybe nothing that's on fire should be on fire. Right, and yeah. apparently they were really, really good about it, and they're like, oh, "I wasn't even thinking," which is fact. But uh, yeah, so that's what took me out of here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm just looking at the board. It looks like you guys kind of trekked off on on everything. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to uh, Mike's take on 2015 and the Mayday call. That's uh, yeah, that, that would be really cool to see um, kind of what your your side of it was. So I'll uh, go back and listen to it. Uh, we got Scott back on the phone. Um, yeah, my phone died. Scott, Strange. just uh, moving forward here, anything else you want to add about uh, the tanker drops and kind of raising that level of awareness that we're talking about for all of our departments for some air ops and just common sense, common language? No, I think uh, I think you covered everything. Um, yeah. How, how big are those? Uh, I'm, I'm obsessed with these splash pad things now. How big are those splash pads? Uh, I'm going to say they're... Two feet by three feet? Just a little tarp. Oh, so really big, yeah. A little mm-hmm. tarp that they could roll up and pack in the back, yeah. put it in their backpack. Or... Hmm. So are you guys spotting with, like, a spotting scope or binoculars from way up there? Like, you're saying this guy spotted a drone at 6,000 6, feet. It was that big. So, I mean, that sounds pretty big. But... <laughs> it, 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 it's kind of funny, though, so because... It's like a 4 by 8 plywood it, flying it, through the sky. It's like... actually pretty funny, though. You, you train your eye. Like, I don't know if you guys ever go hunting or just driving down the road and... No, we go driving around and, a lot. And you though. can see, you know, you don't see anything. And actually, true true fact, I don't have the actual statistic, but in search and rescue, the pilot of the aircraft spots the, the subject hmm. like 70-something percent of the time because we're used to looking at that framed picture. Mm, right. And the analogy is that, you know, you, whether you're driving down the road and you see a bunch of goats on the side of the road and you stop and you're... You saw the first one, your kids don't see it, and they're looking at the same field. And your wife's looking, I don't see it. And then you point all the see next to the rock, and they finally see the one, and then they realize that there's 30 of them standing around it. Right. It's the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
So we were at practice on Wednesday night. We were out doing chlorine tanks or whatever, and I looked over and oh, there's a fire in Oliver. It was the car fire mm-hmm. up yeah. on the hill. There you go. Yeah. And everyone's like, "What are you talking?" And I'm like, "Yeah, no, you just see, there's a wisp. You just you know, and it's right there." And nobody, like, there were ten of us standing there, and the only other guy that saw it was our deputy chief, who was a longtime forestry guy. There so he and I, that have been look, spent a career looking for smokers mm-hmm. at 15 miles, like we were at the hall and we saw it mm, here. 15 yeah. miles, we saw the smoker and called you guys. Right. Right. Mm. The two guys that are used to looking for that. You see that landscape and something doesn't So when there, you're yeah. looking down and you see that guy with the hat or the this or the that. So mm. it uh, it is kind of funny how, you, yeah. how, how the mind and the eye works and stuff mm. like that. So, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's, uh, I think we'll wrap it up there. I know we talked about bringing Mike on uh, in the future as well, but a lot of things so we can keep mm-hmm. pushing that on. Um, do we want to... Throw a little quick little update on kind of where things are at with. Go through the rest of your stuff there. Awesome stuff. Okay. It's like the very end. He's holding the very it. Very end. So the, the you know we lose some of our listeners <laughs> by the end of our shout outs. So. All right. So, so something's coming from Mike. Yeah. yeah. Stay until the end. Stay yeah. tuned. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's uh, jump into our shout outs then. Um, Ash, Modus. So, Modus. So, like we said at the start of the podcast, uh, uh, we did run our giveaway. Uh, Modus was, uh, um, yeah, the only reason why we, we were able to do that in, in the, the size that we were. We, we know we always wanted to give something away, but Modus stepped up and helped us out. Uh, snagger tools, uh, passive entry, forcible entry, uh, hydrant kits, uh, bags. Um, what else do they have? I mean, there's tons. There's, there's they got swag. A, yeah, <laughs> the, the mini IFACs. They've got the larger bags. They've got your... Um, uh, your soft entry tools, your oh god. Well, if, if they're listening to this uh, this podcast, they're probably gonna make splash mats now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got radio right after the radio coming. straps come out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Seatbelt cutters, God, you name it, right? Like yeah, it's, it's all absolutely. the small hand tools uh, that, that are just super, super lightweight and efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing they have is probably the hydro wrench. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's like the biggest piece of kit that they offer yeah. and it's something that you wouldn't carry on your person it's uh something that would get mounted on the on the apparatus itself everything else is basically for a personal firefighter yeah. um they do have some offerings where it's like a one skew gives you um a full kit so you're going to get the uh uh pocket kit with your mm-hmm. um all of your 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 uh your individual Basic, orders yeah. or just you can or get, they get a full can kit with your you, mini wedges, you like. your yeah. spanners, your pry bars, your um, shove knives. Yeah, or you can Yeah, make a customer or do whatever. Yeah, yeah. so if uh, if you're interested in any of those options, which uh, you absolutely should be, hop on. Uh, there are socials there. You can, you can order. And if you want 5% off on your order, DTFF5 is going to get it for you. Absolutely. Um, Scott. Tanner Olson. Yeah, country music out of, well, where I am right now, on the west coast of Canada. Um, yeah, he's doing a lot, of, a lot of live shows now that we've opened back up from the COVID. Um, yeah, check him out, Spotify or YouTube, or live, I guess, if you can find him somewhere. Yeah, live stuff is coming. Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, so then again, uh, Stop the Bleed, uh, stopthebleed.org, go online, find out if there's any sort of... Uh, 
instructors near you or courses. Um, we always talk about carrying a tourniquet uh, on your person out of the wrapper, uh, direct pressure, and wound packing. Um, and with that, throw out some chest seals. Mm-hmm. Uh, learn about it. Get some medics involved. People who are pretty seasoned. Um, ask lots of questions. And make your training fun and high fidelity sims with it. Right? That's that's the that's the key with it. Um, so yeah, you can check out our content as well on uh, on YouTube. We've got uh, the course offering there, as if you were an instructor, and some key tips on what we've done. Um, and then for some of your kits, go to Rescue Essentials, uh, rescueessentials.com. Uh, full variety of some pretty awesome suppliers. I've got a lot of our training supplies and kit through them as well for the True Clot. Uh, the wound packers and things like that. So it's pretty realistic. Um, the fake blood actually clots. It activates with certain gauze, which uh, helps in the uh, the wound packing sims. Yeah, and then you have us, Ash. Yep, so us. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, give us a like, a rating, subscribe. Comment, interact, uh, what that's going to do is bumps us up on the algorithm and gets us out in front of more and more people. Uh, and that only helps us continue to get um, these product reviews um, and things that we enjoy doing and hopefully you guys enjoy listening to. So uh, any support like that helps us a ton. So search us out, find us there uh, if you haven't already. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. Awesome. All right, we're going to throw it back to Mike then. <laughs> it's not socks it's uh <laughs> levent so i've uh, been involved with some friends that uh have the, the the product the company and it's we're still in kind of a soft launch for first responders but it was a spin-off of the high performance underlie under layer ski wear stalling and it's a bamboo marina wool uh, material that they're sort of with socks and long johns and shirts and whatnot. And I started wearing my ski wear under my turnout gear because it's natural and it has the wicking properties of a synthetic that you wouldn't want to wear under our gear. Mm-hmm. So we've done a lot of, uh, you know, burn testing and whatnot. And uh, we're still in the throes of, of making a launch for quote the the first responders line so the website isn't quite up and going yet with with orders but uh, that's a covid manufacturing type thing because it is such a high uh, high-end quality material but uh, stay tuned uh, the guys here we've been not beta testing but uh, beta testing it for a different a different environment which is under our turnout gear um, one of the big perks is that a certain department of people that carry big guns that look after politicians in the U.S. have been big, big, big clients as of late, so stay tuned. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys. Well, uh, as we say, any more for any more? I'm good. All right. Uh, Scott. Good night. Thanks. Mike. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, everybody. Uh, Thanks for listening and check out uh, everything to come in the future. Stay safe and stay safe.